Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Well, good morning, Harbor Church. What's the energy level like today, huh? All right. All right, five people took advantage of that extra hour of sleep and ratcheted it up a notch. The rest of you were like, I'm getting an extra hour, I'll waste it, and uh, that's, that's fine. I'm just glad you're here. Um, if this is your first time or your first time in a long time, or maybe you're tuning in online to check us out, my name's Josh. I'm the pastor here at Harbor Church, and man, I'm thrilled that you're with us. I am jacked up. I love singing those songs with you. Um, I'm loving this series that we're in, and of course, we just uh, had Halloween, so I've got a lot of candy flowing through me. Um, any of you in here already guilty of stealing some of your kids' candy? Come on, be honest, you're in church. There you go. Come on, as, as they come in, I'm like, I'm going to teach you about taxes, kids. Here we go. Like, I get a piece, like right here, right now. Um, let's do a quick little impromptu survey just to get, your, you know, get you engaged, get you hanging out. Most everybody wants to talk about their favorite kind of candy. I would like to take a poll today on, on what is the worst kind of candy. I've narrowed it down. In my opinion, maybe you would disagree to candy corn and or peanuts, those circus, those circus peanuts, all right? Now, there may, it may vary. I think circus peanuts are a little bit better during the first five seconds that you open the bag, and then they become rock hard, um, you know? But, like, overall, where do you fall? How many of you would say the worst of those two candies is, is candy corn? How many would say candy corn is worse? How many of you would say peanuts, they are the worst? Oh, peanuts, all right. I think that's pretty universal because, I mean, like, nobody's giving out those peanuts hardly anymore which is sad because now they think they can give out the candy corn, which is also still disgusting. If you did that, you need some other repentance today. If you gave that out to kids, we'll just we'll pray for you later. Here's a quick little thing that I saw online, how to eat candy corn. If you don't know how to eat candy corn, first you open the bag, you pour the bag in the trash, and then you go get some Reese's, all right? So it's my job as your pastor to educate you on some of this stuff. There you go. So uh, we have just finished that up. Halloween just uh, was a few uh, days ago, and we've tied in our series uh, during the last few weeks, the next couple weeks, to this, uh, this idea of the haunted house and to uh, kind of what you saw around in decorations. Um, it plays off of people's fears, and it's a scary time. Unfortunately, the church comes across as a haunted house every day all throughout the year. People avoid the church like it's the plague. Some of you, this is your first time in church or watching a message in years or maybe ever because church has always been something that you're like, I don't, I don't want to go there. It's come across as spooky and it's, it, it deserves a lot of, of the bad reputation it's, it's got. And I say church meaning the people and the brokenness of religion. And I kind of want, want you to understand as we do this series, I don't believe that what God designed and who God is is all this brokenness that gets associated with the church. The church, in the way, as, the, as God designed it, was a beautiful place for people to come and be encouraged and to be built up. The problem with the church is that mankind got its hands on it and created religious rules that have nothing to do with God, and then we created a structure where people don't really feel safe. We've created environments where people feel more judged or broken, and, and we've kind of corrupted what was something that was once beautiful. So a lot of you that have preconceived ideas or you have a, 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 just a bad taste in your mouth about church, don't put that on God, please. I want to show you how God is not the, the bad stuff that we think about church. We've talked already about um, the hypocrisy and the judgment that's found in church, and we've, 
We've talked about, uh, last week, we talked about how uh, David wanted to show love, but uh, Mephibosheth thought he was just going to get killed. And that's a lot of people, they have this, this idea they don't even want to come into the church because they don't think the church is safe. And I, got, I want to continue that conversation today. When I ask people, hey, what, what is your assumption or what, what, what is the reasoning behind you not wanting to go to church and, and jump in? They're like, yeah, I, I kind of like the idea of God and Jesus. I like that part. But what I've learned about Christians, quote unquote, church people, the religious people, is you guys aren't very kind to each other. And I'm listening to my friends who, who are, to their credit, friends with a pastor. And they're like, I just don't get what you do, Josh. I understand you love people and I think that's admirable, but everything I see about Christians is like you you guys don't really like take care of each other. You actually like hate each other and people are mean to each other. And I went or I went to a church one time and they all but destroyed me. And it was this it was this constant idea that the church shoots their wounded. I heard that several times. That if I go to church and I'm broken, if I go to church and I admit that I have a struggle, if I go to church and, and it comes out that I'm not perfect, which I hope that nobody's under that assumption today. Um, man, I'm not going to be welcome. I'm, I, I, can't, I can't go to a place where I have to keep it together all the time. And there's, there are churches like that, and that's unfortunate. And I shared with you a couple weeks ago, I went to a church where everybody had to look right and talk right and know the handshake and the, and the secret lingo. And like, you had to just belong. You had to have all the insider knowledge, and nobody made mistakes. And that's, just a, that's, a, that's a breeding ground for all kinds of corruption and all kinds of struggles. It's no wonder that the church is known for its scandals and its bigotry and its bias when you can't ever call out sin, when you can't ever say, that's wrong, stop doing it, when everybody's like, I'm not doing anything wrong. This is an unhealthy place. But the reason that that happens is because when somebody says, I'm broken, when somebody says things aren't right, when somebody says, I'm struggling, how are the people around them responding? And unfortunately, throughout history, the church has a reputation. The people inside the church, I should correct that. The people inside the church have the reputation of shooting their wounded. Oh, you're not perfect? You can't belong with us. How jacked up and stupid is that? Jesus comes and redeems the most jacked up, broken, most wretched of people. Those people grow up, and as, as generation after generation comes and becomes, you know, be, begins to follow after Jesus, somewhere along the lines, they're like, if you're broken and jacked up, you don't belong. You've twisted what was once so beautiful about how Jesus was. This is, this is, Jesus goes to great lengths to express this. He actually tells his disciples in John, he, sa- he goes, and, and you got to remember, this is John chapter 13. He goes and, and he says, guys, if you want people to understand that you belong to me, if you want people to know that you're my disciples... Because they followed Jesus. He was their rabbi. He was their master, their teacher. He says, listen, I'm giving you this commandment that you love one another just like I've loved you. You should love each other. The next verse says, this is how people are going to know that you're one of my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Why do John and Peter and James, why do these guys, why do they need to prove that they're Jesus' disciples. Shouldn't love just been abounding out of them? Now, this also is for you and I. That's not just for his disciples. It was for everybody that follows after him. Your and I's mission, if you are a part of the church, your job is to be known for how you love people. When I take a poll on why people don't go to church, it's never because they love us too much. Is that a surprise to anybody? Nobody wrote me back, Josh, I don't go to church because you guys are just too kind too friendly how sad is that 
Now, I'm, I'm blessed that Harbor Church is beginning to change that reputation. We're beginning to speak into it. But we are fighting centuries worth of bad reputations that the church has. Why? And it, it, it's not like it was it, that's just out there for no reason. Jesus is telling his disciples because they were bad at it. Yes, his own disciples, the guys walking with Jesus, watching the Son of God reach over to a leper and touch somebody so unclean and, then, and, and heal them, they still somehow walked around with this air of like, it's us versus everybody else. To, be, to, to, to give you an example, it's actually found, and I think, let me see, it's Luke. There's a couple passages. I, I chose the one in Luke, Luke chapter 9. John, the, the, the beloved disciple of Jesus, comes up to Jesus and he goes, hey, um, we found a guy casting out demons in your name, but he's not part of our group, so we told him to stop. This is an actual recorded conversation between what might be argued the best disciple with Jesus. He's like, hey, Jesus, saw a guy casting out demons in your name, and we told him to knock that stuff off. <laughs> I love Jesus' response, okay? He goes, don't stop him. No! You can almost see him. No! I don't know that Jesus did that a lot, but like, what? What are you, what are you smoking, John? Anyone who's not against you, who, anybody who's not against us is for us. His, his own disciple looked at a guy doing something good in Jesus' name and said, knock that off. This is back before Jesus has even gone to heaven. So this was a struggle with the people that were closest to Jesus. It shouldn't be a surprise that 2,000 years later, we see stuff going on and our gut reaction is, well, I'm not the one doing it or it doesn't make me look good or I'm not really sure I know them. Let me condemn it. Like we're always quick to condemn, quick to judge. And I already spoke on hypocrisy, so I'm not going to go down that. But it was, it was a common conversation for jesus with his disciples for the disciples as they went and started churches the apostle paul actually has to speak about this because churches are so contentious people in church are so ready to shoot the wounded to go against everybody else they love to huddle up and make it it's me versus everybody and that's not how god told us to be he says you go out and you love and even if they don't love you back you still love and after getting beat down a couple of times people stop loving and they start looking for ways to, to protect themselves because it hurts. It hurts to be rejected. It hurts to have other people disagree with you. And God says, hey, listen, you got to get past that. But yet our tendency in our flesh is to be combative. There's one time, there's one time where the Bible says it's actually okay to be competitive as a church. Where, Josh? Thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> this is the, in the book of Romans where Paul actually speaks to the competitive, competitiveness as a good thing. This is what he says. Look at, look at this in the book of Romans. Let love be genuine. Let it be real. Don't be fake. He's speaking to the hypocrisy again. Abhor what is evil. Now, this, is, this goes to those of you that are like, yeah, if I love people, everything they do is okay. No, it's not. There's a part of loving people that means calling them out on the things that are wrong. Like it's that, it's that take the beam out of your eye and help people get the sawdust out of their eye. If it's wrong, if it's bad, if it's unhealthy, I want to help with that too. I'm going to tell you things that you don't want to hear because if you're doing evil, if you're sinning, if you're walking away from God, that's not the best for you and I'm going to try to help. I, I want to speak into that. I want you to speak into my life. I need to know that what is evil is evil but also I need to know that your love is genuine and those go side by side. I'm not getting a lot of amens today, so I'm not really sure what's going on. But he says, he goes on, he says, abhor what's evil, hold fast to what is good. Here's the cool part. Love one another with brotherly affection, out 
outdo one another, what? In showing love and showing compassion. Outdo. There's the only time you get to be competitive. Can you imagine if churches were competitive on how much they love their community? It would change the face of all of our social media. Every church is like, look, we're the best church. Don't go to those churches. We're awesome. What if you were trying to outdo? Like, I want to love my neighbor more. I want to love that person more. I want to take care of that. If, if there's a problem with homelessness, let's speak into the homeless problem. If there's a problem, you know, in the foster care system, let's try to, let's try to take care of more kids. If there's a hunger problem, if there's, if there's a, a, an, epi, a, an addiction problem, why, don't our, why doesn't our church get excited about outdoing each other and showing good? Come on this morning. You guys got an extra hour of sleep. What if we got excited about outdoing each other on the good side instead of always being competitive with like making sure ourselves look good? It would change the face of Cape Cod. It would change the face of America if the churches that are so incredibly blessed began to share that blessing and try to pour out to each other. It would change the way the world looks at Christianity and in turn views God if the people who follow after God got more excited about outdoing on the good instead of shooting the wounded or being competitive with the people that don't line up with them. Thank you guys. We're getting there. We're getting there. Here's the passage I want us to walk through because I want to show you an example of what it looks like not to shoot the wounded, but to be the kind of friend that God told us to be, to love people so much that it points them back to him, not to love people. Some of you might need to write this in your notes, not to love people so that they see how good you are. That that's also fake. And let's just a couple, a couple months of that. And people see through that. And then now you're a hypocrite, love them so much that they see Jesus in you. And watch what happens, okay? So th- this, we, we have it set from the beginning when Jesus says, know that, like, they'll know that you're my disciple if, how, by how you love. If you need to just kind of give yourself a marker there, the proof of your maturity is your love. That is, that is what's going to set this difference between you shooting the wounded and actually caring for others. If you want to prove to people that you're a Christian, if you want to prove to people that you're following after Jesus, if you want to check yourself on how mature you really are as a believer, it's not going to be shown how many Bible verses you can quote. It's not going to be shown in how well you dress, or it's not going to be shown how many times uh, you've done a certain religious thing. It's going to be shown, it's going to be proven through your love. Here's an, an example of that. Mark chapter 2, this is the passage we're going to look at today. If you have a Bible, open it to Mark chapter 2. If you don't, We're going to put it on the screen for you. It says this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news quickly spread that he was back home. And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head And then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who sat there beside beside there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and they praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. 
This is the story of the friends who bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. I want to walk you through this because this is the example of what the church should be. If we did this more, we wouldn't have people saying that we are mean to the people who are broken. If you practice this at work and at home and with your friends and in your community, if you practice this looking the way that Jesus tells us to look, instead of the way that you naturally want to treat people who are broken and hurting around you, it will change the dynamic and you will not only become more Christ-like, you will begin to see God work in, the, in areas of your life and in circles that you're associated with in ways that you can't believe. Because when God gets in there and we don't mess it up, it's amazing to watch the Holy Spirit just go into work on people when people who are paralyzed find the ability to, to, to have life in God, you begin to see amazed onlookers going, what the heck is happening here? The reason we don't see this happen more often is because we aren't like those four people. Oh yeah, it's going to hurt today. I didn't tell you that. Um, it's, this is not one of those like make me feel good today messages. This is one of those where I read it and I went, oh man, I suck. Here we go. <laughs> Verse number one, the house was packed. We see there, Jesus shows up, verse number two, I'm sorry, the place where they're staying was packed because Jesus is there. I think this is a great example, I don't have time to preach this, but you need to go to a house where Jesus is. Don't go to a church that makes you feel good, don't go to a church that just pats you on the back, go to a church where Jesus is. It'll be fun, it'll be exciting, it'll be life-giving, it'll also be a kick in the pants every once in a while, but that's where real life happens, and it's cool that this is how it's demonstrated when you find a place where Jesus is. So if Harbor's not your home, go find a home where Jesus is going to be preached, and you know, hey, life change is going to take place there, all right? So this is what's going on, this house is packed, and it says, um, it says that while, while this was going on, um, these men showed up, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a the mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus, verse number four, because of the crowd. So now I want to talk about the paralyzed person for a second. Some of you are going to identify with the paralyzed person, and that's okay. In all of our lives, we are that person at one point or another, and maybe even currently. But what I'd also like you to see is not just the time you're the paralyzed person. I want you to see the opportunity you have to be one of these four men. Now let's talk about it. The paralyzed guy. The doctors couldn't help him. They couldn't. He's been paralyzed his life. He, he can't find modern medicine to help him. He can't help himself, as evident by the fact that he's just laying there this entire story. And truthfully, <coughs> excuse me, his friends can't fix his, his body either. His friends can't fix the fact that he's paralyzed. They... They have a job to do, but if they took responsibility for, for fixing his paralysis, they're going to always be defeated, aren't they? Medicine couldn't do it, this guy couldn't do it, and his friends couldn't do it. It's not our job to save people. If you as a church, if we as a church takes that on, like, man, we have to have this life change, that's where churches begin to create things and put false expectations on people and have rules because they want to see this life change happen and they're trying to manufacture it. We can't make life change happen. What we can do is we be, can be the kind of friends that, that help people get to the one who does the life change. But what I needed to understand and what some of you need to realize is that somebody who is broken, somebody who is cursed, as the Bible says, by sin, if you, have, I mean, if, you, if you haven't had this look yet, you need to take a hard look at your life. Every single person is born a sinner. The Bible says that every single one of us 
because of the nature that we're born with from the time we're a little baby all the way on we, we have a distance between us and god nobody taught us to be bad nobody taught us to lie and to steal and to have evil thoughts that just came naturally with our sin nature every person in this room is born distant from god and here's the truth not a single one of us myself included can cover that ground there's nobody in here including your pastor or priest who can get themselves to god on their own work we're all paralyzed we're all unable to or unable to get to god we cannot fix ourselves you can go to church you can help old ladies across the street you can give all your money to orphanages you can you can just pray all the time if it's empty prayers if it's not genuine life change where you're experiencing jesus you're trying to do it yourself the bible says that salvation comes through grace through faith not by works because we would boast about it if we did it ourselves and so we we see this paralyzed person and you are either that paralyzed person today or you're responsible to be the people that help get him to jesus let me talk about some of the problems beside the other problem besides him being paralyzed he's paralyzed we see that that's a, a big problem you know the other problem that's mentioned in this passage the people people are in the way man if that wouldn't preach for days they're trying to get their friend to Jesus, and who gets in the way? The other people trying to get to Jesus. Goodness gracious, how many times have I tried to like bring somebody to church, and I'm like, hey, welcome, and I'm so glad you came. Uh, don't talk to them. <laughs> I have to steer them away, because they're they crazy. Like, let's go over here. Like, the people seem to be more of the problem keeping their friend from Jesus now than anything else. They finally get their friend, carry him out of his home, who knows what that took, who knows how long it, it took for them to get him on that mat and carry him out. But now they're, they're not letting him just sit in his house, laying there broken. They said, hey, we're bringing you to Jesus. They finally get him to Jesus. And there's a bunch of people in the way. Man, I, I need you to understand the best thing about church, the thing that will energize you the most is the people. God puts you around people. He gives you friends. He gives you a chance to sing songs while other people are singing the same song. And you're like, I'm not alone. It's one of the greatest things about church is the people. It's one of the hardest things about church, the people. It'll be the thing that annoys you the most. It'll be the thing that's like, man, why did they say that? Why did they take my seat? Didn't they see I was getting that cup of coffee? Don't they understand? Did they really just take that parking spot? I had my blinker on. I thought we were at church. <laughs> this is going to happen a lot. People are going to get in the way. And here's the truth. A lot of the time I'm trying to bring my friends to Jesus, they will quote a person that got in the way. They won't tell me how Jesus rejected them. They'll tell me about how when they went, somebody, a person that was there for Jesus hurt them, blocked them, attacked them. So there is going to be that problem. Their own paralyzation is a problem, but we got to get around the people to make it happen. Some of you here have got the... I don't know what you're saying about God, but I can tell you I don't like church because this happened to me and this happened to me and I saw this happen to my family. And, and all the things that are reasons why we don't want to come to God are people-related problems. That is a reality we have to deal with. His friends don't stop because people get in the way. His friends don't let the crowd. Now, for the record, the crowd needed Jesus too. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Everybody else in this room might annoy you because you're like, they're just, I, I need Jesus. Yes, you do need Jesus. And everybody in the room, whatever church you go to that annoys you, they also need Jesus. It wasn't wrong for the crowd to be there, but nevertheless, the crowd created the problem. 
So his friends climb up on the roof. I love this part. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and they lowered the man on the mat right down in front of Jesus. These people are not going to get in the way. They go around the people. They climb over the people. They get on the roof. Unfortunately, back then, skylights were not an easy thing. So now they got a roof in the way. And they dig open the roof. They begin to pull back layer after layer. They begin to dig a hole and create a hole, not just a little hole so they can see Jesus. They got to get a hole big enough to lower a stretcher down through. They have to lower their friend on a mat all the way through. So they got to make a big hole. They got to remove a lot of roof. Here's what I love about this story. And this is what I want for the heart of Harbor Church. This is what I want for you and your families. Parents, this is going to be a big deal for you trying to lead your kids. Bosses, this is going to be a problem for you with your employees. Guys, just listen to me. This is what we see. When we watch these men try their hardest to get paralyzed people to Jesus, they go out of their way to remove barriers. And this is an example of what Jesus is trying to tell us, that a real friend, a real believer, their job, our job, is to remove barriers. We are not in the saving business. We are in the barrier removal business. What does that look like? We are going to go out of our way to try to make it as easy as we can for people to come and hear about Jesus. They're going to be offended by people. They're going to be annoyed by parking. They're going to be, feel awkward if they don't get a cup of coffee in their hand. So why don't we just take care of that? Harbor Church, why don't we make it as easy as we can for people to find a seat to hear about Jesus? If that means you park at the middle school so a visitor can park in your parking spot. Oh my gosh, there's a barrier gone. What if we just put a cup of coffee in your hand? Because I, I know me, I go to new places all the time. If I have something to hold, now I don't feel like quite a weirdo, you know? Because when you're like empty-handed, you're like, somebody hug me. <laughs> but if you got a cup, you're like, no, nah, I'm cool. I'm, I've got this cup. I'm cool. You know? It makes us feel more comfortable. Do I think a parking spot gives somebody a home in heaven? Do I think a cup of coffee can fix all your problems? I do not. I recognize that is not salvation. I recognize that it might be a barrier keeping you from salvation. And so I want to remove those barriers. I cannot save anybody here. I cannot get you to embrace Jesus Christ as your savior. I cannot erase all the mistakes and the problems and the hurt from your past. I know Jesus can. And if what I do during the day or during the week and my testimony and my love for you is to pull back all the reasons that you're going to reject Jesus, that's my job. I can't make you accept Jesus, but I sure as heck can be responsible for all the barriers that I've accidentally put up. Well, they didn't build that roof. You know what? They're right. They didn't build the roof. And they didn't invite all those other people to Jesus either. But they still took responsibility to say, hey, I'm going to love my friend through these barriers. I'm going to do everything I can to be, a, to be a barrier removal. And if your friends, if your coworkers, if your family members have barriers in their life that society is putting on them, that a bad event in the past has put on them, a poor experience, something that is keeping them from Jesus, it may not be your fault at all. But do you know what a mature believer does? They love them through it and say, hey, I'm going to do whatever I can to pull down this barrier. I hate that this is in your life. I hate that this is the reason that you don't love Jesus or you won't even hear about Jesus. It's not my fault. And if it is your fault, own that. Nobody? Okay. <laughs> your fault or not, begin to tear them down. Parents, you better understand, this world is, bearing, is building a barrier after barrier after barrier in your kid's heart and your grandkid's heart. You cannot passively sit back and be like, well, I hope it's okay. No, you're responsible. Tear down some of those barriers. You're really a friend? 
You really, you really think you're a good friend? A good friend tears down barriers. Well, I just don't know if they want that. Listen, I don't see the, the paralyzed guy asking for any of it. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't see the paralyzed. I think the paralyzed guy might very well have given up hope. I've always, I've always laid here. Nothing's ever fixed me. There's never been a doctor that can fix me. There's never been anything that's ever been done that works. I've given up on life. And their friend says, you may have given up, but I haven't given up on you. That's a friend. And you know what? A halfway friend, a friend who pretends, does, oh, this, this mat is getting heavy. Dude, how much do you eat? <laughs> uh, here's the crowd. We tried. God, you saw me try, right? You saw that? I still get a star. Here we go. <laughs> got to go home, buddy. Uh, we got around the crowd, but man, there's this roof. It's a well-made roof, too. Man, it's going to take a lot of sweat out here in the sun trying to rip open this roof. There's no excuse when you're a friend and your friend needs Jesus. Yeah, see, this is where it hurts because church, you don't really love when you stop loving because it took you a little bit of time. It cost you a little bit of energy. It cost you a little bit of investment. There's people that you've walked out on because it got too hard to get them to Jesus. It got too hard to remove barriers, so you quit. And now they're using you as the excuse for why they won't believe in Jesus. And I know it stinks. You're like, well, pastor, that's not my fault. Listen, it's not that your fault that they don't have Jesus. It's your fault that you've allowed yourself to be a barrier. You do everything you can to remove barriers. And if they still reject Jesus, that's on them. But you do not get lazy. Do not get tired of well-doing, as the Bible would say. Be intense. And even if that means parents, you're involved more than they want you involved. Friend, brother, sister, son, daughter. You're saying, hey, man, I'm here and I love you. And they go, I don't need you doing that. Hey, I'm still here and I love you. And... Just know that whenever you need some help tearing these barriers down, I'll do everything I can. I recognize I'm speaking very vague because everybody's situation is a little different. I just kind of want to encourage the room today that if you've given up or you think that there's no hope, look at this story. They pull this back. They are remover, they're barrier removal uh, guys. And it says in verse number five, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. If there has ever been a verse that should excite you for being a good friend, it should be that. Why? When Jesus saw the paralyzed man's faith, is that what it says? Guys, I read it for you. It should be on the screen. Is it on the screen? <laughs> Does it say that he saw the paralyzed man's faith? Does it say the word there, as in those guys? When he saw their faith, do you see the power of a friend, of a family member, of somebody who will invest in the broken? Do you see the power that the church has when God says, if you believe in me to do a work, just show me. Show me that somebody's got some faith. Jesus is only impressed with people's faith on a very few occasions. This is one of them. He looks up and he sees their faith to get this guy there. And he heals their friend because of their faith. I don't ever hear the, the paralyzed guy be like, hey, I need you, Jesus. Jesus just looks and goes, man, these people put something in me. These people have been praying for this friend. I think he looks at the mom who shed tears over her baby. I think he looks at the person who goes, I've loved this friend of mine since college, and they've constantly rejected Jesus. And he goes, I see the heart that somebody has for this friend. I'm, I'm going. I see, I see the way this, this little boy, this little girl has prayed for their mom, for their dad. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to honor their faith. And he begins to work. He, get, he gets called into action because of the faith of the friends, the faith of those around. He say, hey, I need you, God, to do something. Don't give up. Don't give up. If you're the person on the mat, know that 
I'm here and these other people are here. We're creating an environment because we want to be more like the people that help you find and encounter Jesus. Because there was a day where I was the guy on the mat. There was a time in my life where I was the person paralyzed by sin. Jesus came into my life. And although I'm far from perfect and far from like everything I need to be, I'm excited about the fact that God healed me. And so I'm here today and a lot of other people are here today because we want to create a place where we can just be reminded of the God who heals and my life isn't perfect. I'm struggling. I, I sang some of those songs on that front row today going, God, I needed to be reminded of this. I, I'm not done, but I do know that God healed me. And so I want, I want to present that to you. I believe that's what a lot of other people are doing here today. So if you're here and you, you, you do not get church, do not leave here going, it's a bunch of people who don't hate me. Understand that at the heart of it, it was designed by people who've encountered the healing grace of Jesus. And they just want to share that. And we messed it up. I'm going to be honest with you. We messed it up a lot. But the goal is to do the best we can to present that. So if you're here today because somebody dragged you, somebody's forcing you to watch this, it's because they love you. It's because they want to see you experience a, a relationship with God who heals. And so they did that. They became the kind of friends who removed their friends' barriers. I want to challenge you today to look at this card and to think about some people that you might be used to remove some barriers. We put one of these on your seat, and if you're tuning online, you can still do this. Write this down on a piece of paper. There's something to be said to, for putting a little bit of action to your decisions. The response card today, if you want to respond, it says, this week I'm going to commit to build up and encourage, invest, remove barriers, whatever you want to put there, for this person a name, not just praying for them. I know you're praying for them, and I love that, and keep praying for them, but let's go beyond prayer. Let's be intentional. Let's take an act of kindness. And it might be tearing down a barrier. It might be sending them a text. It might be going out and grabbing a coffee with them. It might be costing you 20 or 30 minutes to sit down and have a deeper conversation than, hey, how you doing? Good. Moving on. Put their name on A and put the thing that you know that you should do or at least the thing you're going to try to do on B. Well, does it matter if I do or not? You can still do it without putting it on the card and you can put it on the card and still not do it. But I do think there's something to say, hey, I'm not just thinking in my head. I'm going to take an action. If you put it on there, myself and the staff will pray for you. Pray for this interaction that you're hoping to have this week. If you only got one, just do one. Maybe God's put the names of a few people on your heart. I'm going to call out some people today. Men, I'm sick and tired of 80% of these cards coming from the ladies in our church. Ladies, I'm so glad you're doing it. I'm sick of, oh, Pastor, I, I just do it in my heart. Okay, now do it on paper. Just man up, show, just do it. And listen, it doesn't make you more spiritual. I think it just gives you a little bit of a kick to, to go. You don't have to do this at all, but I think if you're going to respond today, if you want to walk out of here different than the way you came in, either walk out knowing that there's a God who loves you and wants a relationship with you, and I hope you open your heart to him. And if you've already done that, then know that your job doesn't end by inviting Jesus in. It, it includes you going out and trying to bring more people to Jesus. It includes you doing everything you can to demonstrate the love that Jesus demonstrated for you so that they'll see there's something different. How do I know that? Look at the rest of the story. The rest of the story says, some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. I love it. Even in the middle of God encountering somebody awesome, it's the religious people that screw it up. 
Those guys are not the, the commoners. Those aren't the, the potters and the farmers and the fishermen coming to hear Jesus. Those are the religious people. Those are the ones that have been reading the scribes, reading the scrolls, reading, reading and studying and memorizing. These are the ones who should have been like the most like, whoa, I see what's happening. The ones who are the most religious are the ones who are the most skeptical. That'll preach so much. I don't have time for it today. But the most religious are the ones going, nah, I don't know about this. I don't know if you're allowed to be a pastor last week or this week and not mention Kanye West, so I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. If you don't know who Kanye West is, he's a singer, and he recently said that he came to uh, believe in Jesus Christ. There's a big controversy in the Christian world. A lot of friends of mine love it, love the album. He put out an album, Jesus is King, but he also, uh, he also put out a lot of albums before this where he said a lot of things that most Christians would say they don't approve of. I don't know if, if Kanye West invited Jesus Christ into his heart. I know the lyrics of a lot of the songs seem to point that he, he, he has had a conversion. I don't know. Maybe he's just trying to make money off of Christians. Okay, that's, that's possible. All I know is there's a guy who said that Jesus came into his life and changed him, and then he tried to go public with it, and uh, people are pretty torn on what that means. As a matter of fact, in the album that he released, he had these lyrics, I told people God was my mission, and so what have, you, what have you heard from the Christians? They're the first ones to judge me. They're the, the, he knew before he released the album, the Christians would be the first ones to judge him. I thought it was kind of comical. It's one of my favorite songs on the album. Because he's like, yeah, I, I knew going into it. I told him God did something in my life. And the people that I thought would respond with excitement are the first ones to kind of crap on me. He goes, it makes me feel like nobody loves me. The people that are supposed to show me that God loves me are the ones that are the most critical. Now, Maybe you love it, maybe you hate it, maybe you don't like Kanye, I don't care, I really don't. All I do like is that everybody, all the like anti-Jesus people and even the Christians that are like, I don't know about Kanye, they all have to write Jesus is king in all their posts, no matter what, just even to diss on it, they still have to write the phrase Jesus is king. So I thought it was really good. So these guys are doing that, and I think if we're not careful, we'll be more guilty of being the religious people than we will be of being the friends. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's really possible. I don't know if she can really have her heart change. I don't know if God can really fix that. Do you know what they did 20 years ago? Have you ever seen what they had in their past? Do you know? You see how it's quickly easy to become the skeptic. To begin to doubt what God is doing in other people's lives. Sometimes because we doubt what God can do in our life, it makes it easier for us to begin to tear down what he's doing in other people's lives. Come on. You find yourself being the critical negative one, it might be because you're doubting God's work in your own life. It's easier to tear down other people than to turn it on yourself and go, man, I need some of this. What I love and what I want to challenge you with is not just, I don't want to leave you with the response of the, the wrong response of shooting the wounded, which is typical of the religious. I want you to see something. It says, he says in verse number 10, I'm going to prove that I have the authority to do this. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, verse number 11, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And what we see here is the man jumped up, he grabbed his mat, he walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and they praised God exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. We're seeing some stuff we ain't never seen before. Come on, Jay. We're just sitting there going, man, I don't get what's happening here. I don't, this is, this is, this guy's been paralyzed the whole time. This guy's been laid on a mat, never, never walked before. And look what God did. Look what one encounter with Jesus did. 
Guys, this isn't a, a story from the Bible that can never be repeated. This same thing can take place in your home. The same kind of like amazing encounter with Jesus can take place right here today. Where people are stunned, amazed by what Jesus can do. When God gets a hold of this guy, the guy leaves there changed. I believe if God gets a hold of your heart today, you'll walk out that door changed. Maybe for the very first time that you've known Jesus. This might be the very first time where you invite him in, where you actually allow him not to just be some guy on a picture or a, a figure on a cross, but he'll actually be a personal relationship with you where he'll be your Lord, he'll be your Savior, he'll be the one inside of your heart, not only just cleaning you and forgiving you of your sins, but he'd actually be the one calling the shots. You put him in the driver's seat and say, God, I need you more than I need myself. And then watch that he will not only fix you and begin to heal you, and he will take away the sins that have plagued you, but then he'll give you a story where people stand back and they're amazed. They're like, what happened to her? What took place in his life? I want whatever they got. Man, that is the story of Jesus. And if that's not happening, check yourself. That's what God is calling us to do because this is what he wants for his people. He's not willing that any of your family, any of your friends, any of your coworkers, any of your neighbors should perish. So he's put you in their midst. And if you love them the way you're supposed to love them, God shows up and does something that'll be amazing. I guess my question would be, when was the last time that your faith really stunned someone what you've been a christian at your at your workplace for 10 years and they don't even know you've been a believer and your kids don't even see the value of jesus you go to church on sundays but your neighbors don't even know who you believe in when was the last time your faith actually stunned somebody when they saw you live out the love of jesus and they went wow this guy's different this lady's different. That's what he's called us to. That's the challenge for the people in this room that know Jesus. Your job is to remove barriers, get people in front of Jesus, and watch him change their lives. And there's some of you in this room or some of you watching, and you say, I don't know Jesus that way. And pastor, this message kind of hurts today because I don't have those kind of friends in my life. I don't have people that would pick me up and carry me. Pastor, if I'm honest today, I feel pretty broken. I came here today hurting, and all you did was remind me I don't have people in my life to carry me like that. I'm reminded today of the people that I've betrayed or the people that have betrayed me, and there's a hard truth to that. If you're not in that spot today, thank God. Recognize that somebody sitting near you might be. There might be somebody sitting near you that is going through that, that feeling of abandonment. They were left, left for dead because they were crippled, left, left behind because they were paralyzed, left, left out of their old church, left out of their friend circle because they were too broken to continue on with the normal. Maybe you feel that way today. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you have felt left, felt abandoned, felt too wounded to be a part of what God was doing, felt as if though the people who should have loved you didn't. I hate that. That's the reason I'm preaching this message. You're the reason I'm doing this series. I don't want anybody to think anything bad about the church because God died for the church. He wants the church to be such an awesome example. But I, we got to call out what's broken. And the brokenness that you're feeling, the story you have of being abandoned, that's not on Jesus. 
Here's a verse, and, and, and there's three of them I want to share with you. Psalms 27 says, it's, it's talking about this idea of feeling alone. It says, even if my father and my mother, mother abandon me, God, I know you, you hold me close. Here's a person crying out, everybody I've ever loved, the people I expected to love me most have left me, but God, I know that you're going to stay close. Romans 8 is a very powerful passage. Romans 8, 38, 39, it talks about, it gives us a long list. There's nothing, 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 and it goes through all of them. Not life or death, angels or demons, fears, nothing that can separate me from God's love. Nothing. Nothing. It's the power in the sky above or the earth below. Nothing in all of creation can separate me from the love of God. Now, here's, here's why some of you need to hear this, because you think something that happened to you or something that you did all those years ago is keeping you from God, or you've convinced yourself it's keeping God from you, and that's not true. Something really bad and dark happened to you, and I'm sorry. God still loves you. Oh, you royally screwed up. God still loves you. You've been living in denial about it for years. God still loves you. Here's how you, you reconcile all this. It's the last passage, Psalms 142. This is David, King David. A guy who was known by God and loved God and also royally screwed up a lot. It says this in verses 4 and 5, and he speaks to this idea of, of having no one around that cares. He says, I look for somebody to come. I looked for somebody to care about me, and I couldn't find anybody. No one will help me. No one cares what happens to me. But the next verse says, but Lord, I'm going to pray to you. I say, you're the place of my refuge. You're all that I really want in life. When you can have that heart, when you can make that your prayer, God steps in and he says, hey, I got you. When you say, God, you're my place of refuge, I'm not going to trust in my abilities. I'm not going to trust in me being able to figure it out. I'm not going to trust in my ideas or my good works. I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to just take refuge in you. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to get myself clean. I don't have to do all this. I just, I just need to trust you first. That's salvation. Move out of the driver's seat of your life and let the Lord who died for you be the one calling the shots. Let him come in. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you and we ask. God, we ask for your love. We ask for your grace. God, we ask for patience and how to be a better friend. God, we ask today, and I pray this, Lord, over everybody under the sound of my voice. God, I pray that we would be the kind of friends that we read in Mark 2. God, I pray for the young person in this room and the old person in this room. God, you're not a, a respecter of age. Every person in here needs a relationship with you, and then every one of us has a responsibility to help carry more people to you. God, you've put so much talent and so much opportunity in this room. God, if just if the people right here, right now, would say, use me, God, I know that you would turn Cape Cod upside down. I know that you would begin to work in our homes. God, you would, you would bring change to our, our workplaces. God, our neighborhoods would be transformed by a few people that actually love you the way you love others. God, let us get in the habit of tearing down barriers. Let's not be weird. Don't let us be awkward. Don't let us be consumed with all the things that the world offers. Instead, God, let us be people who will go to any lengths that we can to love those around us. God, it's the people who are the most broken, the most hurting, that feel the most abandoned. So God, would you prick our hearts today 
that we would leave here with a list of people that we need to love. God, show me this week, show all of us this week somebody who desperately needs your love, somebody who feels paralyzed, somebody who's hurting, somebody who's discouraged. God, show us somebody who who has given up that we might be the kind of people who would carry those weak, those hurting, those paralyzed to Jesus. God, I pray for the person in this room. Maybe they didn't recognize that they were paralyzed. Maybe they didn't recognize that they needed you. But God, I pray for the person that's listening to this right now that needs you as a savior. I pray that they would invite you into their heart. That right now they would just simply pray and invite you in to be their Lord, their savior. That they would confess you and ask you for that personal relationship. God, would you use us? Would you call us to such a mighty and awesome purpose? God, would you let us walk out of this room different, changed more so than how we walked in, either as believers for the very first time or as people on mission to love those around us. God, we need you, we confess you, and God, we praise you. We ask all of this in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.